0: Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info.
1: Welcome to the Friday the 13th edition of Political Rewind. I'm not particularly superstitious. But I am really hopeful nothing goes dreadfully wrong (laughs) with our show on this Friday the 13th. And you know what? Given the people we have on today, there's no way it could possibly go wrong. Jim Galloway, of course, is here, the former political writer, uh, columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who a little bit later in the show—you're still uh, finding ways to write and get your uh, stories out there, Jim— And a little later, we're going to talk about a terrific story that you uncovered about an attempt uh, somewhat similar to the effort to pick fake electors to vote for Donald Trump in 2020, but this was back in 1952. How are you doing in the meantime, Jim? I'm doing fine.
2: I, I constantly have to remind people that I'm retired. I'm not dead. (laughs) <laughs> I, and, 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 work, and working <laughs> a keyboard is just kind of second nature so you you know some sometimes there is there are something some things you cannot retire
1: from you, you really need an outlet i'm sure every now and then mary margaret oliver a democratic state representative based in atlanta is uh, with us today we're really happy to have you here mary margaret I, I pointed out on the show yesterday when we had audrey haynes and andre gillespie that they were two of the kind of charter members of the Political Rewind panel group. Uh, and so are you and Jim Galloway. You've both been doing this show about as long as any other people uh, have been on, and I'm grateful that you continue to do it. How are you doing, Mary Margaret?
0: Great. Good morning. I'm always honored to be on a program with Jim Galloway. I always learn stuff, and the benefit of me coming on, and thank you for the invitation, is I learn stuff from Jim and others. Good,
1: good. And, everybody, and we all learn from you as well. All right, let's get right to a couple of uh, headlines um, that um, uh, broke overnight this morning. <clears throat> they both relate uh, basically to David Perdue's run for governor. Uh, the more important one from a national point of view is that Mike Pence has announced that he is going to come to Georgia on the day before the primary, uh, the final day of elections, May 24th, and hold a rally. Jim for Brian Kemp talk about a dramatic break from his uh former boss the president Donald Trump this is about as dramatic as it gets
2: yeah but it's also carefully timed you'll notice it's it's 24 hours before the polls close so he's 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 not leaving a whole lot of time for 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 the president former president Trump to to beat back at him and yet you know if if Kemp can indeed uh, pull this primary off without a runoff. That's something that uh, that Purdue can claim a uh, credit a little bit of credit for I thought I find that very very interesting
1: Mary Margaret uh, in a statement Pence called Kemp one of America's most successful Conservative governors and he wanted to say Brian Kemp is my friend a man dedicated to faith family and the people of Georgia I'm proud to offer my full support for four more years of Brian Kemp, Kemp as Kemp as a uh, governor of Georgia. Um, so it, it does seem, it feels as if uh, it's a calculated move in many ways to Mary Margaret, uh, because we believe that um, Mike Pence may very well want to launch a presidential bid and lining up a Brian Kemp, who he now imagines will be uh, certainly the nominee, if not uh, re-elected, would be a, a feather in his cap, yes?
0: Well, every move is calculated at this stage of any campaign. And Kemp is very calculated in a day-by-day campaign yesterday signing a $30 billion state budget and getting David Ralston's uh, endorsement in North Georgia. North Georgia that fell off voter turnout in the January runoff. I think this race is, and as part of it, is to generate some interest in turnout. And I the high percentage, 200 percent increase in early voting, uh, I, I just think it's very it's very hard to predict what our turnouts going to be, but it's a key to Kemp having a chance to win without a runoff.
1: You know when he signed that uh, budget bill yesterday, Mary Margaret, he talked about how impressive it was that the state had so much money and that the budget was uh, going to be uh, uh, used to help so many. Uh, people in the state. But one of the things that certainly Kemp and other Republicans are not talking about is one of the reasons that they're so flush with cash is, um, the, uh, is the COVID relief uh, money that came out of Washington that Republicans uh, 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 voted against almost unanimously. I think the entire Georgia dele- Republican delegation voted against it. They don't talk about that side of it, Mary Margaret.
0: They don't talk about that side of it, and nor do they talk about the COVID money that is being held by Kemp in the state coffers yet to be spent, I believe, continuing on a political agenda. For instance, Kemp has never released any list of the awards of grant applications in the human services bucket of the so-called committees to evaluate requests for COVID money. I have a very strong suspicion that that'll be part of a calculated political move at a time. He did a, a release of water services money, release of law enforcement money. So, all of this COVID money that we're flush with is helpful in many, many cases. Uh, Going to be controversial, like in the DeKalb School Board giving $86 million as bonuses from COVID money to essentially central staff people, Um, we're going to be hearing a lot about COVID money and the political gains that Kemp and others are making based on federally, democratically supported COVID money to assist states like Georgia in the economic catastrophe of the pandemic. Georgia's done better economically in its comeback and The federal money infusion, the way in which it's used, mostly for good purposes, maybe not all for good purposes, is very key to the financial strength of Georgia's economy.
2: But back on the on the topic of endorsements, uh, Bill, uh, it's it's interesting to note where 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 Governor Kemp signed that that budget bill, Uh, and that was in North Georgia, in the company of House Speaker David Ralston. Ralston endorsed. Kemp formally. Uh, I, I don't think there was in, any question, but but you have to. But the, the it's you have to take note of it because of the way the first two years of the Brian Kemp uh, uh, governorship was a, a, a really a tug of war between between uh, Kemp and David Ralston, uh, specifically over money and over who had control over over the budgeting process and it got very hot very heated uh and 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 don't forget the uh the the kelly leffler uh uh uh, episode where where uh ralston was backing doug collins so it's it's a it was a i mean it's a uh, that that is a significant show of unity that i think is on par with with vice president uh uh pence's
1: visit um let's talk about the other story oh go ahead mary margaret
0: just giving you a house view. We've always felt on the house side that David Ralston was the biggest political actor in the Capitol. That his experience and his expertise and his strategy. I was invited to the bill signing yesterday because Speaker Ralston always wants to uh, state that. And of course, the mental health bill was a very bipartisan effort. Uh, I just think he is the the man that need that whose endorsement means a whole lot to a whole lot of people across Georgia. Specifically, the 180
1: of us that are in the House. Of course, he's not made a secret of his support for Brian Kemp, although it hasn't been formal. Uh, Last time he was on our show, just a few weeks ago, he made it clear that Brian Kemp was his man, uh, that he'd be supporting uh, for governor. He also made it pretty clear on the show that day that he has no love lost these days for the way Donald Trump Has been injecting himself in the Georgia election. Um, Let's, speaking of Donald Trump and the way he's tried to inject himself in Georgia, Mary Margaret um, Judge Robert McBurney uh, was hearing a case that Brian, uh, that David Perdue had brought, insisting on a forensic audit of hundreds of thousands, perhaps, of votes from 2020, continuing the big lie about the election being a fraud. He claimed there were counterfeit ballots in the thousands, that there were some ballots double-counted. And on Friday, and, and this has been, of course, a cornerstone of his entire campaign, and on Friday, Judge McBurney, I thought, used interesting language in rejecting it. He called the suit, quote, conjecture and paranoia. And then he went on and uh, he said um, that um, it was a quixotic journey that will not be take place that, uh, that, it, that if it were to go forward, it would effectively empower petitioners, unnamed forensic experts, and he put that in quotes, to intrude upon the sealed ballot materials of tens of thousands of Fulton County voters, hunt for speculative voter fraud or error, and then determine for themselves what the, quote, actual vote count should have been in the election. Pretty stern rebuke, Mary Margaret.
0: Very stern and very consistent with all of the litigation, uh, putting forth paranoid conjectures. Judge McBurney is a very well-respected judge in the Fulton County Superior Court. Uh, I spent a lot of time in his courtroom on another case, a major case I was involved in the last couple of years. He's not a big personality. He doesn't use flowery language. He's very, very uh, much a student of the law. I really learned to respect him in my, um, my courtroom appearances before him. One of the things that I'm following, and I'm, I'm thinking this is on the mind of a lot of the judges that have had to hear this nonsense, is what is the role of lawyers who are signing affidavits and signing pleadings with no facts? There have been a number of bar association uh, actions against uh, Sidney Powell, for instance, uh, as an example of somebody making totally specious claims. And signing an affidavit with no facts that you know to be wrong is very dangerous territory, and I think that's on the judge's mind that have heard all these ridiculous cases that have used important court time, that have used resources that relate to money being spent on specious claims. Jim Galloway, final
1: word before we got to get to a break.
2: Yeah, to to echo what Mary Margaret was was saying, you have to wonder if if we're going to see any kind of uh, uh, action against the lawyer who filed the case there, who filed that case. Uh, but I, I would like to note that just that David Perdue called this uh, uh, the the dismissal of this case. Uh, uh, I think the the word he used was procedural nonsense. You have to believe when he filed this case in December that he knew that this was going to be the outcome. It's interesting. You yeah. have these lawsuits for, for campaign messaging, right. and that's about it.
1: He, the language he used in, in Purdue's statement, today's ruling is another example of how the establishment continues to cover up what happened in 2020. Really disturbing to hear from a figure who was a member of the United States Senate Uh, uh, talking about essentially dark conspiracies of the establishment. All right, uh, I got to take a break uh, because uh, it's time for us to uh, tell you how you can support uh, GPB Radio and particularly Political Rewind. This is the final day of our fundraising drive, which was truncated to begin with. So here's how you can do it, and I hope if you haven't been able to support us, you'll find a way to do it now. couple of very quick notes that I don't want to run out of time later in the show to be able to pass on to you. First of all, a personal note. Um, today is Jesse Neiswanger's final day at Georgia Public Broadcasting. Jesse has been our engineer on Political Rewind and other programs on Georgia Public Broadcasting's radio side. He is an extraordinarily talented engineer and sound designer. He's also a composer. He wrote... Uh, The theme that we've been playing for Political Rewind, and we've come to love it very much. And he's going off, I think, to be able to make use of his talents a bit more creatively. He's going to be working on podcasts, and interestingly enough, he's going to work at the company where our former senior producer, Amelia Brock, uh, has uh, landed since uh, she moved on from GPB. We are going to miss you, Jesse. We have loved working with you. You never say no when we really need something taken care of. You've been remarkable, but I'm so happy you're going to get to use your talents in a broader, more creative way. So congratulations to you. The other very quick note, um, I hope you'll be with us on Monday because David Gergen's going to be here. I think one of the most respected political thinkers over decades, an advisor to four presidents, three Republicans, one Democrat. He has a brand new book out called Hearts Touched with Fire, which is a book about leadership and his belief it's time for young people to step up and take the place of geezers like me. <laughs> and so David will be with us on Monday for the show. Today, Mary Margaret, Oliver, and Jim Galloway are here. Um, uh, Jim, before we talk more with Mary Margaret about the changes she's seen over the years at the legislature, I, you had an interesting post the other day. We think we've been thinking a lot and reporting about... The way in which uh, a Republican Party chairman, state Republican Party chairman David Schaefer, uh, led a group of fake electors uh, to uh, vote for Donald Trump. Actually filed that slate of electors with the Library of Congress and is under investigation uh, because of that. Um, and uh, you tell us that as kind of shocking as it was that they did that, it's not the first time. That a Georgia leader tried to manipulate the Electoral College.
2: No, no, I was. I've been working on a project that uh, that has me wandering through the 1950s, uh, and and the and the uh, and the uh, newspaper uh, uh, newspaper editions of that day. And I came across a piece in the Macon Telegraph by Bert Struby. He was the editor of the newspaper at the time and it was it was a very innocuous uh paper uh, uh, column uh, he was it, this is this was in May of 1952 uh, uh struby was uh anticipating a rematch of the 52 presidential race between uh uh, uh eisenhower uh who won that uh, 52 election and adlai stevenson uh which actually turned out to be true uh, those were the two candidates in 56 but he noted that, that it would be the first time the 50, 19, uh uh fifty six would be the first or yeah, fifty six would be the first time that that Adlai Stevenson and Eisenhower were named on the Georgia ballot. Uh and, and that took some explaining. And what he said was what he found out was that in february nineteen fifty two uh, the legislature, at, at Governor Herman Talmadge's urging, had passed a new law, a one-time-only law, that that said the names of the presidential candidates in 1952 will not appear on the Georgia ballot. Instead, the party will be of uh, 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 the party, and the the actual electors will would be on the would be on the ballot. Uh and uh Georgia had twelve uh, twelve electors at the time. Uh, uh we we have what? Uh now Mary Margaret, I think we have sixteen. Yeah, we have sixteen. And Martin. and uh yeah. Uh and uh the reason for that was that Herman Talmadge was determined not to let uh not to not to let uh Harry Truman have what essentially was a third term as president. Uh, Truman had had begun the party, the Democratic Party's shift toward uh, integration. He had, he had uh, under, it was under Truman that the the U.S. Army started uh, started integrating. Uh, there were some some parts of interstate commerce that he wanted uh, that that he wanted to take down the the barriers of segregation in, and that and Talmud saw that as a threat. So the situation was that. Yes, George, and, and and by the way, there were very very few Republican voters in in Georgia at the time. It, it was uh, the, the electorate was the electorate was white and and pretty much solidly democrat. So, th- the plan was that yes, voters would go to the polls in November 19 uh, 1952 and would cast their ballots, but they wouldn't know until afterwards who those ballots were going to pick, who 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 those electors were going to pick. And if Truman was going to be on the ballot, they wouldn't have been for him. Uh, fortunately, presumably what the
1: was- electors, presumably the Democratic electors, could have chosen given their votes to a different Democrat. Exactly. Well,
2: yes, and and in in that day they would they would have cast their ballots pretty much at the direction of the governor. Uh, we had a, right. we had a very very strong gubernatorial uh, a, a system of 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 gov- governors uh, at that point. Uh, it came to naught because as i said this law was passed in february 6 weeks later uh, truman said that he was not going to run for reelection and and the 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 whole episode became moot but it was a it was an example of uh, the, the the parallel with what happened in december 2020 is there you had a party that that it was dominated by uh, by by white voters that it was 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 uh, was threatened by the change that was on the horizon, and they were willing to uh, to uh, uh, play hanky panky with with the presidential election.
1: It's I think thank you. It's a fascinating story, it, Mary Margaret. Uh, you know, it, we survived. Georgia survived that attempt back in 1952 to manipulate the electors, partly because Harry Truman didn't end up being the Democratic nominee. But, but now you come forward to 2020. Are we in more jeopardy than we've ever been before in terms of the, our democracy persevering through all of what we've seen with, uh, with the fake electors slate, with uh, the uh, ongoing allegations about the big lie? How dangerous a, a world are we living in in this country right now?
0: Well, there are a lot of very smart commentators that say we're in real danger, and I don't consider myself a false, uh, a, you know, accurate predictor or commentator at all. But I will tell you that personally I am offended by lying in an aggressive public way that is tolerated. Uh, Judge McBurney's language is he was not going to tolerate lying. Um, the investigation of the Georgia electors, led by David Schaefer, again, lawyers who have licenses and ethical obligations to say the truth to the court, are being investigated. When I see people who, you know, uh, Purdue uh, David Purdue is an intelligent, successful CEO, talking gibberish, and does he? I know, I know, I say with confidence, he doesn't believe anything he's saying. I find that very, very disturbing. People say they believe the election is stolen. I think that what they're saying is not that. They're saying I support Donald Trump. And to the extent these lies told in court and lies told on television every day are going to be accepted or rejected, and analyzed as to whether or not people believe the gibberish or whether or not they just are supporting Donald Trump is something I can't comment on. Lying is bad, and I see it a lot in politics. I see it much less in the other uh, community where I work. You know, I've had careers in three different communities, in academia and in litigation and in politics. Lying is bad, and that's what I think is very dangerous.
2: Jim, yeah, it's it's and 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 but uh, again, to draw the parallels with with uh, with with the nineteen fifties, it's not that much different. Uh, you know, the, the the language, it's the exaggeration, the language, the the volatility of that language is 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 is, uh, strikes a a great parallel. Uh, For instance, I mean, you you cannot talk to Marjorie Taylor Greene today without hearing her uh, uh, use the word communist or communism, you know, I'd say th- three times out of every every ten words in in what she says, well, that's that's exactly what that's the exact language that was being used in 1950 when it came to integration. That w- integration was uh, was was a form of communism, according to according to the 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 the, the party establishment at the time.
1: Uh, you know, it is interesting to think about. Go ahead, Mary Margaret. The
0: images the Republican Party wants to use today with trying to say it represents. Uh, all of Georgia trying to say that it represents men and women and black and white. and There was such a totally, totally white male prop in reality and in factual in every single way. In the 50s, uh, I have a very hard time believing that the Republican Party today, in claiming that they are diverse, do not represent only the same white men. But the imagery and the messages... Um, are very disturbing to me. And I think any thoughtful voter is going to understand and perpetuate the feeling that politicians are lying to them intentionally for their own self-interest. And that's a bad attitude for voters to have.
1: Uh, You know, uh, very quickly before I've got to get to a break, um, Jim mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene and all the outrages that we have followed about her career. We had Cynthia Tucker on the show the other day, the great. Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, columnist who's long since moved on. And I read a piece of one of her columns that was uh, 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 res- that helped win her the Pulitzer Prize. It was submitted as one of her Pulitzer Prize columns. And it, it, it described a member of Congress whose behavior was completely outrageous, who was an outlier, who lied about what was happening in America. And it sounded like she was talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, She was talking about a Democrat, Mary Margaret, and you know who it was, Cynthia McKinney. We've seen this on both sides of the aisle, uh, Mary Margaret. So I just want to throw that out. Uh, we got to get to a break. Uh, It's time for you to, uh, in the final pledge break of Political Rewind for our spring campaign, uh, see if you can help our show continue on the air. When we say we're listener-supported, that's no joke. We are listener-supported and we would like you to help support us. Here you go. You know, when you cover the state legislature for a long time as Jim Galloway and I have, you get to know people, it's a community, and you get to know people on both sides of the aisle and follow their careers uh, for years. I think of, on the Republican side, people like Terry England, uh, who was a widely admired head of the Appropriations Committee, David Ralston, uh, now the speaker, Um, And on the Democratic side, there are people like Mary Margaret Oliver, Calvin Smyre, and others. Um, And so, Mary Margaret, I, I really wanted to spend some time, and I know Jim is eager to weigh in on this as well, talking about things that you've seen and how things have changed. You have essentially been in and out of the legislature. You had some breaks, but you started in the 80s and have basically been in the legislature over a period of what amounts to five decades into 2022. Have I got that right?
0: It's a little daunting uh, to hear those, <laughs> but yes, it is true. But being in and out of politics and different political jobs, half of which under the Democratic majority, half of which under the Republican majority, uh, wow. it's been a long and interesting career. And I remember what Jim Martin told me when I first came to the Capitol as a legal services lawyer in the halls. Uh, there are 10.6 million people in Georgia, and there are 180 of us on the House floor. And that's a real job, real position of privilege. And I think about that a lot. I certainly talked about that a lot this winter, this fall, this uh, past session, in terms of the privilege of working on the mental health bill, because it wasn't about messaging, it wasn't about finger pointing, it wasn't about any kind of uh, partisan. Uh, political gamemanship, it was about real substantive, detailed, in the weeds work that was going to help people. You know,
1: uh, Jim, it's clearly important that when David Ralston decided to make uh, mental health reform a showcase issue, which he said for a long time he believed was one of the most important things he'd ever accomplished, he wanted it to be bipartisan, Jim, and he chose Mary Margaret uh, to lead the Democratic effort uh, because she has been willing to work across party lines and has not been uh, one of the people uh stuck in a sort of a partisan bubble uh, at the capitol Jim.
2: uh yeah, if I could just kind of uh, uh, exhume uh Mary margaret's resume for a second she is she is she's is the only person i still still i believe who is uh, who has served as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in both the House and the Senate. Uh, highly highly unusual uh she ran a, a a race for a lieutenant governor in 1998 uh one uh, came in first in the primary uh uh lost in the runoff to, to, to mark taylor uh but so, so given that mary margaret you know t- to me you are probably you may be the most successful female legislator that 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 in, in 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 during my years at the at the at the legislature at the legislature and in in politics in general uh despite that loss in in 98 tell me tell me how the role of gender has evolved in 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 the state capitol uh if it has evolved in the state capital, uh from saying, saying it's from the time you came in in 80 to 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 now
0: Women in the Georgia General Assembly's numbers have increased dramatically, obviously, and Georgia ranks pretty high right now. I think it's the highest in terms of black women legislators of any of the states. Win list uh, support for Democratic women has been very important. When I first came to the Capitol, again, as a lobbyist, a do-gooder lobbyist in the hall, uh, there might have been a dozen women. They were all uh, married, not working outside the home. I think uh, they were supported in traditional family ways. And during the the years, the earlier years of my first half of my uh, political career, all that changed. I replaced uh, Peggy Childs, who died in office in a special election. And in her 12 years, I think she was there about 12 years, she went from a, a stay-at-home mom taking care of some teenagers to going to law school and joining her husband's law firm and become a practicing lawyer. Uh, to, they were all married when I first came there. And and today there's a genuine, authentic mixture, black and white, married, single, professional, working people. We represent, the women of the General Assembly represent more of the diversity of the actual real Georgians, in my view. It's changed significantly. Because the Republican have been in the charge in the second half of my... Women, um, had, Republican women, like all Republicans, but Republican women seem more to be rule followers and following the leader and less independence, uh, less interest in in kind of charting out their own independent career, independent of party. Our Democratic women are much more diverse in terms of interest, in terms of issues, in terms of approach to different issues. But... Um, other states have gone further, women in real leadership. We have not had a Democrat-elected woman statewide in Georgia, uh, neither Kathy Cox nor I nor a good number of others. This year, this year, uh, nothing could represent change more in terms of the status of women than Stacey Abrams and Jen Jordan, both of whom are very, very exceptionally talented professional women with long, uh, legal careers, different kind of legal careers, different kind of political careers. So I'm really hopeful that 2022 will be the first time we'll have a Democratic elected woman. You know, Linda Schrenko was the first statewide elected person, women, Republican. She spent eight years in the federal penitentiary. Um, Angelia Speer, who ran against me when she was 23 as a Agnes Scott graduate, had one term in the PSC and gave it up after one year. Her first campaign as a Republican woman successful campaign. She spent $83. So there's this transition of women coming to full opportunities, and Georgia has been good about women better than a lot of states in terms of women participating successfully to get to the House and the Senate floor, but not to leadership positions.
1: Well, and, and I want to talk about that for a minute. And I, I think everything you said, it, it, is, it has been wonderful to see the representation of women now in the legislature. But, Mary Margaret, the fact of the matter is uh, the, the, the increasing numbers of women in the legislature uh, did not stop some of the most conservative, what some people would think of as anti-woman legislation to pass. I mean, we have a, a fetal heartbeat Uh, abortion bill, for example. So what is it about when you expand the numbers but still have a difficult time uh, having any control of the agenda?
0: Republican follow the leader. The number of Republican women who came to me privately during a variety of abortion debates uh, said, you have to do something, you have to do something, can't you fix this, can't this fix you? I I have to vote for it. And I would say, you don't have to vote for it. Uh, but they were going to vote for it, even though they didn't believe in it. And I, I think that's tragic. Um, the rulemaking, the follow the leader, eliminating independence for a certain percentage of women in politics, um, has, has allowed the Republican Party to um, require its, its members, men and women, to vote against what they think is best. That's my personal view on what's happened here. We're following national politics. We're not following individual interest.
2: You know, in, in um, Mary Margaret, in uh, in in my experience, when I when I when I when I can get uh, women candidates, especially Republicans, to talk off record, you know, they will they, they will they will say their big problem is money is 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 walking into those into the offices of those big donors and and walking out with a check and and what i and and it's i i gotta believe that was true uh, with with you in 1998 and that's to me what makes stacy abrams so interesting because in essence she invented another way of raising money she she uh she kind of broke the mold uh, it used to be you, you weren't supposed to take national money, or you were supposed to hide it. Uh, she made a cause out of it, and and I, and I wonder how much that, how much of, of 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 that method of fundraising is replicable by 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 other women.
0: The challenges to, to politics being more successful for everyday citizens is money and gerrymandering. Those are the two challenges that are very, very hard to overcome. When I ran in 1998, I raised more money than any woman had ever raised. That was quickly eclipsed by Shirley Franklin and Kathy Cox. Uh, President Obama found this uh, small donor internet uh, voting uh, contribution to be hugely successful. Bernie Sanders did to a lesser extent. Um, And Stacey Abrams has taken that to a new level of success, and we'll see the people that call her money Hollywood money and all that kind of uh, nonsense, uh, see whether they're successful in tainting that money. Stacey Abrams has broken the mold in many ways, and I am truly excited, excited about the opportunity for her to be the first African-American governor in the United States and be a person that I've known and worked with closely or district adjoined, by. I in, in Decatur and in uh, Atlanta, I'm really excited about the opportunity that she represents in terms of change of what are patterns that I don't think are helpful to the voters.
1: Uh, Mary Margaret, one of the other things, and, and we're not going to have time to explore this in as much depth as I wished we could is how you've seen partisanship change over your years, either as a member of the House or the Senate. I, I I finally gave up covering Washington because I thought coming back to the legislature was where things got done, where people really worked together to accomplish uh, important uh, uh, matters. H- has, has that diminished greatly over your years in the Capitol? Yes. Uh,
0: partisanship is much more important. You know, in the t- days of Tom Murphy, it was a... Uh, I think a healthy free for all within the, the large Democratic majority, and the Republicans like Mike Egan and Paul Coverdale and um, Skin Edge. Um, those were when I was chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. Uh, those Republican leaders were very valued by Lieutenant Governor Pierre Howard. They were certainly substantive contributors, to a lesser extent that that's. Very, very limited in the Senate from my outside perspective today. On the House, it is uh, still favored, and this has been the benefit of my career uh, on behalf of my constituents. Uh, The Judiciary Committee has been, uh, for the most part, still intellectually honest and uh, open committee for debate. I think that the experience I had as a very young woman, uh, as a lawyer in rural Georgia, uh, where there'd never been a woman practicing law in any of those courthouses and then brought me into the house of the Georgia General Assembly where I was the only woman on the Judiciary Committee for I don't know how many decades, uh, gave me an extra, extra opportunity to have substantive, honest, intellectual debates with my colleagues, my professional colleagues that I had worked with in other, my other job, my other work environment of being a lawyer.
1: Mary Margaret Oliver, we are out of time. I want to keep talking about this in your career for a long time, and we can't. Um, but one of the things I want to say is how glad we are you continue to do the show. Um, I said at the beginning, you're one of the charter members in many ways, as, as is Jim Galloway. And uh, we just appreciate so much both of you being part of Political Rewind. Thank you, Mary Margaret, for today. Jim Galloway, thank you. Um, we're going to send you back to the folks who can uh, t- tell you how you can help support the work that we do here on the show. Back on Monday with David Gergen. Uh, until then, I'm Bill Nye. Please take care, stay healthy, and uh, again, Jim, Mary Margaret, loved having you with us today. Bye-bye, everybody.